You have this up there, Applied Faith, Signs of Life, Acts chapter 19. I'm actually going to backtrack a few verses from that. Uh, and we're going to take a look at life in the early church. And we're not dealing so much on the Apostle Paul here today, but we are focusing on the early church. Uh, this is not the early church as we sometimes refer to it. The first uh, decade or so is often referred to as the early church. But this is sometime later when the Apostle Paul had been actively engaged in his missionary work. Uh, maybe the second or third missionary journey, this right here. I forget exactly which it is. Uh, in other words, we're looking at about 30 years now after the time of Jesus and the apostles being set aside to their work. And so we're going to talk about uh, the apostle Paul in Ephesus. Applied faith, signs of life. I've been, we've been doing a series of, uh, on the subject of applied faith. And I think that possibly um, having faith in church is even more difficult than having faith outside of church sometimes. And you're going to see a few examples in this passage here. Um, this uh, used to be a term that was used a lot uh, among Christians, especially evangelical versions of Christianity, uh, revival. Uh, if you're familiar with the Baptist setup, oftentimes Baptists will have a week of revival every year on schedule. And that's a good way to do it if you can get the, I guess, the Holy Spirit to cooperate with the revival part of it. But uh, revival simply means strengthening what has grown weak or faded out. And I don't mean just to single out the Baptists there because actually it's more of a southern tradition. If you drive around churches in the south, you'll often see signs saying revival this week. And I've always a little head scratcher to me is how do you really know? Because a revival really by definition is when the Holy Spirit moves among the people. And it's something that can't be identified as an organizational change or something mechanical or visible, but something spiritual in the hearts of the people. So applied faith, signs of life. The Apostle Paul had an interesting experience when he went to Ephesus. The same kind of problems. Start back up into chapter 18, verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of Scripture, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue where Priscilla and Aquila heard him, and they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, and the brothers encouraged him, and wrote to the disciples where, there to welcome him on arriving. He was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate. Proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. The interesting thing about Apollos was that he was very fervent in religion. But he wasn't a born again guy. He had the message of John the Baptist was all about do good things and repent but he didn't even know because of where he was located that Jesus had already died for their sins so he had no gospel message but he had a religious message and he was successful in the church and they noticed though that something was wrong that uh, the people 
didn't really know Jesus. They knew religion, but they didn't know Jesus. And so they got him on the right track. And he came to know Christ. And then go right down into chapter 19, verse 1, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. Now let me stop and make some comments about that. I don't know what your experience has been like in your relationship with God, but I grew up in a, let me get a little personal testimony here. I grew up in the Dutch Reformed Church, and I had developed a very strong distaste for it when I was, by the time I was about 14 or 15. I like the testimonies of young people that go something like this. Uh, uh, I've examined all the religions of the world, studied them up, and decided that Christianity was the best of them all. And then when I turned 13, I really got on fire for the Lord. So the fact is, most people's beliefs, until they reach a certain age in life, are really motivated by their own experiences positively or negatively. I had a very negative reaction to the church experience I had, and it wasn't until after I was married and had got out of the military, and Marjorie and I were married, and I was working as a truck driver in Denver, Colorado, that uh, somebody invited us, my boss, in fact, invited me to a church. And when your boss is, and, uh, and he was a good boss, and he said things to me like, Dave, you're... Uh, your language needs work. Um, some of us really know Jesus and don't really like to hear his name used the way you're using his name. Okay, boss, I guess I can figure that out. And he said, well, why don't you come to church with us? So Margie and I started going to church over there, and I heard the gospel about Jesus, the forgiveness, the freedom, the, the blood on the cross, and all the stuff, kind of like Apollos did here. I hadn't heard that part. All I heard about was religion and church before that, and I wanted nothing to do with that. But I heard the gospel of Jesus, and I responded to it. Nothing much happened to me in terms of a big experience, but I really did want that. And it was a big church, and so they encouraged me, why don't you go up on the altar call and go talk to the pastor? So I did. But I didn't get to talk to the pastor because when I got within... 20 feet of him, I, I saw that he had makeup on his face. They were broadcasting this on television, and in those days, you had to you wear pancake on your face, or what they call pancake, it's makeup, and I turned right around and decided, I'm not talking to any guy with makeup on his face. I don't care what happens to me after that. So uh, I turned around, and I went back, and I never did, but I just really desperately wanted to believe, Margie, and I moved to Reno, Nevada, and, um, and I really kept wanting to have more 
of the Lord. And um, one day, one night, after a great struggle with God, I got down on my knees on Virginia Avenue, sidewalk on Virginia Avenue in downtown Reno, and I'm really happy I didn't get arrested because usually in Reno and uh, Las Vegas, when people are kneeling on the sidewalk at 2 a.m., it uh, means something else, something happened, something bad happened. Well, it really did. It was a confrontation, and I heard the voice of God. And I can't tell you if it was audible or not, but it was a confirmation. Jesus is in you, and I have given you the spiritual gifts and internal spiritual presence you need. Now, he didn't use those exact terms, but it was a powerful experience to me. One that made me get on my knees on Virginia Avenue, and I said, God, I will never demand anything from you again. Thank you for what you've done inside of me already, and I am going to live the rest of my life for Jesus. And I went home, and Margie was kind of um, worried about me wandering the streets of Reno in the middle of the night. But I went home, and I read the book of Romans, and I read it twice. And the voice of God just came through the scripture to me in a powerful way. That was a spiritual confirmation of something that in my heart, in my head, I had already decided to do, but had not reached my spirit, my transformation. And it was something that God gave me, and it was unique to me. That's exactly what happened here. First, there's Apollos. He's preaching religion, church. And then they say, well, what about Jesus? So he gets born again. Well, then these, there's these people at Ephesus. They say, well, we know about Jesus and what he did for us, but what about the Holy Spirit? What about the personal connection, the born again, the, the sense of God's presence, the power, the significance of walking with God, knowing that you're one of his Oh, we don't even know about it, they said. But we're open to that because we want to know God. We want an experience with God. Now, I know that the church historically has, because of some things in history, divided itself into those who believe in the Holy Spirit and those who don't. Now, that's an exaggeration because everybody I've ever known believes in the Holy Spirit because they say the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Say, well, what's your relationship with God? What's your, your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Well, you don't have a relationship with him. You just believe in him. What? Not in this book. And it does not have to be tongues or prophecy or any other gift. But please, do not hold out on God when it comes to having a real live relationship with him that you know is real. Look at it this way. If you ask me, Dave, are you alive or are you a figment of my imagination? And I say, well, let me check. Well, sure enough, there's my driver's license. I must be alive. That's the proof. I'm alive right there. It says that I am, wait a minute. Well, that ain't the right weight. The rest of it's right, but that's not the right weight. When I hear Christians or church people say, I know that I'm a Christian because I've been in church all my life. And I even put money in the offering plate. And I even maybe have had a title or a position in the church. I think, Apollos, 
That's the guy. If that's it, that's religion. That's church. Churchianity. That's good. But that's not going to have anything to do with your relationship with God or anything to do with your eternal destiny. You know that because that's exactly who Jesus was dealing with from day one. People who had been in church all their lives. They needed Jesus. They needed to come to Jesus and have a real relationship with him. So here's what I'm suggesting. If your evidence for being a Christian has anything to do with externals, that's fine for us. But for you, please ask God for something real, transformative, and don't say, well, I don't believe in feelings. You're lying through your teeth. I know you believe in feelings. You have feelings. If your relationship with God does not inspire something in you that's more than just an intellectual assent, or more than just signing your name on the dotted line somewhere, or getting witnesses together to say, yeah, this guy goes to church, if that's it, that's a problem. And it's going to be an eternal problem. If you have had no experience with God that is internal and powerful and transformative, please ask him to give it to you now. That's an invitation to pray. We're going to continue, but I'm going to take a little time right now. Father, we don't want to miss out. We don't want to miss out on a powerful, joyous, transformative, gifting experience of the Holy Spirit. It's so easy for us, no matter what our background, no matter what our experiences have been, to slip into just Christianity or churchianity or just religion. Please bail us out of that. We need revival in ourselves. This church needs it. Our country needs it. But we can't ask for a revival in the country, we understand, unless it's happening with us as well. Show us yourself. Be real to us. Give us that mysterious sense of your presence and power. Thank you. Trust you to do it. Go on to a couple of more paragraphs in this passage. Verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and his discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. This is a great story. The presumption 
of these people that didn't know Jesus but knew religion and thought they could go ahead and exercise the powers of the followers of Jesus got the tar beat out of them. But, verse 17, And when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds, and a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And after all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. And he sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. How many of you have ever taken a radical action to get rid of something that you knew was dragging you down spiritually? Well, okay, don't raise your hand. I guess I should have said that first. I have. Marjorie and I did. After I had that experience with uh, Jesus, I went home and went through my record collection. And a few books, not much. I had a lot of other books, good books, than um, vinyl records. I'm sorry, but vinyl records... This was even before 8-track tapes, so you know. Well, they're coming back in style, I know that. And we took them and threw them out. And uh, a few years later, I kind of regretted it, because I had some first editions of Beatle, and uh, some really great Elvis, Presley and Johnny Cash, and, and uh, I've spent years trying to get some of them back. Not really. I don't care. But at the time, it was a powerful move. It was necessary. It was a great move. So if you've got anything in your life, let me encourage you. Maybe take some radical action. Do it at cost. You know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, if your hand is keeping you from godliness, chop it off. And if your eye is keeping you from... Those are, those are hyperboles, figures of speech. If your eye is keeping you from godliness, poke it out. Jesus really said that. In other words, this is serious business. I've talked to a lot of people over the years who say, well, I really, I really like this Jesus. There's even a bunch of books written on this subject. I really like this whole Jesus thing, except, except why can't I just keep this, this, and this in my life and have Jesus too? What is wrong with you Bible-thumping fundamentalists that you demand that we give this? I don't demand anything. But God does. You want to play around with that garbage that takes you down? That takes your family down? Your neighbors down? You just go for it. But don't blame me. And don't blame God. Giving you a choice. Sometimes you've got to take some radical steps. And sometimes those radical steps hurt. They hurt a lot. And it might not be something like this, witchcraft stuff and scrolls and all these other kind of things, but it might be something else that you value that is really holding you back in your relationship with God. Don't let it go. Signs of life. 
this is the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, church. Takeaways for life. Just briefly let me run through these because they carry the principles from the biblical passage through the principles and into our daily lives. Number one, are you born again in Jesus or just very churchy and religious like Apollos? Now I'm suggesting you take that question seriously because, you know, we're in an evangelical church and people say born again a lot. But are you? I'm, I'm not dumb enough to think that just because you're in a church, it means you actually have a relationship with God. I lived a few years in the Bible Belt in South Carolina. Everybody went to church. But I assure you the percentage of true believers... Wasn't much different down there, even though they went to church, than it is in the Northwest, where most people don't go to church. And it wasn't much different in the New Testament. Number two, have you had a genuine encounter with the Holy Spirit? Ask God. Don't waste your days just saying, I must be a Christian because I signed that thing on such and such a day. Or I got baptized on such and such a day. Or I've been going to church. Please ask for something real, present, and transformative. It'll happen. Not in any prescribed way. Don't let the religionists tell you how it has to come. What you have to see. But just be able to say, not only do I believe this, I have experienced it. That's important because it's sad to go through life just believing something religious but having no real relationship with the living God. Number three, if you walk with Jesus close enough to give, is your walk with Jesus close enough to give the enemy pause? <laughs> well, I put that in there because um, the... the um, Satan doesn't like the light. When we walk with Jesus, Satan doesn't like it. He will try to attack us. But we don't have the strength to do this on our own. But Jesus does. Number four, how's your FQ? Few, fear quotient. He's not a tame lion, you know. It's interesting that it says there that people had a great deal of respect and fear for the church. In other words, they didn't want to come close. You know, we so emphasize the love of God and the niceness of God and the coolness of God that sometimes we forget that this is the God of the universe. And tell you the truth, I think a lot of people have come to Jesus through fear. It's actually an expression. I don't know where I first heard this, but come to Jesus moment. Kind of like no atheists in foxholes when you're getting shot at. That's a come to Jesus moment. Fear is a powerful force. Don't waste it. God likes fear. He gave it to us as a gift. But when he says fear not, then you can stop. But in the meantime, be afraid until you get your stuff together with God. Then you can say, okay, I'm not afraid. Number five, is there anything in your life that needs to be thrown overboard? 
no matter how valuable. You know, a few records or books, not such a big deal. But some habits, some relationships, some attitudes that are just holding you back because they are not what God wants from you. They'll cost to give up. It hurts to peel the bandage off or the bandage off. It hurts to have surgery, heart surgery, emotional surgery, habit surgery. It does hurt. But you could say it hurts so good because the end result is a big improvement in the long run. But the short-term pain is good. Father, we admit that we figure out ways to just creep along and avoid problems that drag us down. Make us bold. Give us your insights. Give us the Holy Spirit. Give us experiences with you as a church and as individuals that are so real that the cost of following you won't seem so steep anymore. We understand, Lord, and you understand us because as Jesus, you lived with us like one of us. Give us the power of the Holy Spirit which you promised to us. We trust you, Father, because of your love. We trust you, Jesus, because of your actions. We trust you, Holy Spirit, because of what you're doing right now on the invisible plane. Change us, transform us, use us. In Jesus' name, amen.